Well, if you lived through the 90s, how many of you lived through the 90s? Yeah, most of you did. Do you remember these magic eye posters? You remember the magic eye posters? How many of you, did you ever learn how to see these things? Did anyone not learn how to see them? I'll be glad to loan you the book a little later. But you know, during the 90s, these were everywhere. These magic eye posters, you would look at these images and you'd see something hidden in there. I remember the first time I ever saw one, I was at my friend Roger Ashmore's office and Roger had printed one out. And he said, look at this. And, and I looked at it. He said, there's a dinosaur and there's a tree and a mountain. And I said, Roger, are you, are you, are you getting a little too close to the chemicals here at the chemical plant? Roger, I, I think maybe uh, you're seeing things because I couldn't see anything. And then I finally learned how. I finally learned how they, they work. You don't really look at the poster, do you? You, you kind of stare through it. You kind of have to go a little cross-eyed as you, as you look at the poster. And then suddenly there are things there that, that you never saw before. The image just kind of comes out at you. I think cross-eyed may be a good way to describe how you and I see the world around us, how we see the people around us. Uh, we see the things on the surface. Sometimes we see the pretty pictures on the on the surface, and sometimes we see the hot messes on the surface, right? And then we look a little bit deeper. We, we see the joys of life, but we also see the miseries and the pain. But in our, our cross-eyed view, in, in looking at the cross of Jesus, we see those things and then we see something else. We see Jesus as we look deeper into the world around us. He comes more and more into focus. And then we come to Easter. And we remember the cross. We remember the empty tomb. We remember His resurrection. And we realize that changes the way we view everything around us. Our world, uh, the lives that we live, the, the joys we have, the pain that we have. And we see Jesus in all of it. And, and in the way that we look at Scriptures also. I mean, Jesus told the Pharisees, if you remember, He said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life, but it is the Scriptures that testify to Me. They tell My story. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we see Jesus in unusual places, even unusual places in the Bible. And that's what we're looking at as we lead up to Easter. We're looking at Easter stories. We're telling Easter stories. We're looking for stories of the resurrection, stories of new life in places other than just the Gospels where we normally go to for Easter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're looking at our own stories at the same time, and we're seeing the new life that Jesus brings. So if you've got your Bible with you today, we're going to be in Hosea, <clears throat> Hosea chapter 6. It's in your Old Testament. If you can find Daniel, just keep going to the right and you'll find Hosea. If you want to use one of those blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 754. And if you want, if you've got your iPhone or a, an Android phone and you've got the Bible app, if you open it up, it should take you to the notes that I have and the passages I have here. But Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Hosea is a depressing book. It's Trish, as you're reading through your Bible right now, keep that in mind. Hosea. You've already been there. Hosea is difficult. Hosea is just... Yeah, Trish is reading through the, the, her Bible and, and we have our discussions because she thinks I know something about what it's all about. I, I have to convince her that it, the, the degree was worth it. So she, she asks me questions and, and I answer them. 
Uh, Hosea is a, it's just a hard little book. It's, it's, it, there's no hope at all except for right here <laughs> in these verses. And suddenly the tone changes when we get to verse 1 of chapter 6. Hosea calls to his people, Israel and Judah. He calls to them and he says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. You hear it, don't you there in verse 2? Did you hear it? After two days, he will revive us. (laughs) And on the third day, he will raise us up. You hear it, right? On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Your cross-eyed view of Scripture points you to Jesus when you hear that passage. And it's, it's not just there because of verse 2. You hear it in your heart. You hear, you hear it in that call that Hosea has for his people. You hear it in that call that you've felt, the call to return to God despite our failure. And you and I hear Jesus very clearly in this passage. And that's our context. That's our cross-eyed view there. But the context here for Hosea, the reason Hosea is writing is because he's calling his people, he's calling Israel and Judah to repent and to return to God. And if you know anything at all about Hosea, it's been a couple of years ago, but I preached a short series on Hosea a few years ago. If you remember anything at all about Hosea, you know that God called him to marry a woman. He called Hosea to marry a prostitute and her name was... Gomer. You remember that Hosea married Gomer, right? Get it out right now. You know, it's Gomer Pile. It's not Gomer Pile, it's a different Gomer. And God calls Hosea to marry this prostitute. And Hosea, as a prophet, his marriage was to represent God's love for Israel. God was committed to them, God is bound to them, and yet they continue in their unfaithfulness to him. They continue, the nation continues to prostitute itself with other gods, with foreign gods, with other nations, with other kings. They continue to fail to keep their commitment. If you go back just one verse, you go back into chapter chapter 5, verse 15, you hear God's call to His people. God says to them, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Israel has been unfaithful. They've wandered from God. They've even run away from God. You hear something akin to God saying at this point, He's saying, I'm tired of waiting for them to change. I'm tired of waiting for them to make up their mind. I'm moving out. I'm going back home. And if you need me, you know where to find me. But then you hear Hosea's call, his plea in verse 1 for his people, his plea from his heart for his people Israel, his plea... The plea that Hosea even felt for his wife, a wife that did not love him back. Hosea says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. Sometimes our pride keeps us from doing what we know we need to do. 
Sometimes it's our pride. Sometimes it's our shame. We're ashamed of our failures. We're ashamed of the mistakes that we've made. We're ashamed of the, ashamed of the mess that we've made of our lives. We, we find our failure unacceptable. Other people find our failure unacceptable. They write us off. And so we assume that God has written us off also. We think God must be like that. Maybe, maybe God is tired of our failure also. And He feels so distant in those moments because we've allowed our failure to come between us and God. Come, let us return to the Lord. For He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down and He will bind us up. Maybe your cross-eyed view calls you to see Jesus in that call. In that call to return to God. Maybe you hear something of the prodigal son even in that call. The son who leaves his father, who takes his fortune, who squanders it on riotous living. He wastes it all. He finds himself in ruin. And the prodigal son finds himself in ruin and he thinks to himself, how many of my father's servants have it better off than me? They're, they're eating and they're, they're well taken care of. And in his humility, he, he begins that long trip back home. And before he gets there, he finds the father waiting. Not too far off. He finds the Father waiting for Him. He finds the Father running to Him. The Father welcoming Him. The call is there in the story of the prodigal son. And the call is here in Hosea 6, verse 1. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've run. Please, just come home. It can be hard to admit our failure. It can be hard to make that turn and come back home. But the promise here is that no matter how far you've run, God is never far off from you. No matter how far you have run, God is never far off from you. And while we hear something of Easter in verse 2, there's a promise here. And the promise is that God is not far away. Chapter 15 or chapter 5 verse 15, God says I'm backing off, I'm going back home. You know where to find me. I'm going back to wait for you. But the promise in verse 2, after two days He will revive us, and on the third day He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Two days, three days. In other words, what, what God is saying is, I'm not that far away. I, I, I am well within your reach. Two days, three days, I will be there. And when you think of your sin, when you think of your failure, when you think that that has pushed God far away from you, Hosea is saying, no, no, He's, he's near. Just like the waiting Father, He's waiting, He's watching. And He's ready to meet you. So what, what holds us back? What keeps prodigals from returning home? What causes people to, to stumble? What causes people to fall? What causes them to leave the church? To give up on their faith and never come back? Yeah, I don't think that's the problem here. I don't think that's the problem that Hosea is pointing us to. I don't think that's what Hosea is warning us about. Because rather, I think, I think he's talking about those who fail and then fake it. Those who fail and then fake their return. I, I think he's talking about those who come back and get close enough that, that it looks like they've never left to start with. I think he's talking about those who, who, who get close enough that it looks like we've got it all together. I think he's writing about prodigals who, who never leave, 
but who also never embrace the Father. They never leave, but they also never embrace the Father. We're saying the right things. We're showing up for church. We're going through the motions, but our hearts are far away. I think, I think that we think that we're kind of like the magic eye posters. You know? If I put a pretty enough picture on the outside, if I make it colorful enough, if I make it nice enough, if I put a pretty enough picture on the outside, maybe you won't look deeper and see what's really hidden on the inside. Maybe you'll never look close enough to see the ugliness that I've got deep down. That deep down, we're, we're struggling. Deep down, deep down we're, we're still all about us. We're still all about ourselves. We're, we're not all about God. And occasionally, occasionally it pops up, you know, maybe in some bad relationships we've got, maybe in some poor choices that we make, maybe in some things that we get really worked up about, really passionate about. Maybe it pops out in the way that we, the words that we use, the, the things that we say. It gets popped up in the way we get worked up about politics sometimes. But on the surface, we, we look good enough to fool others. We look good enough to fool ourselves and maybe, maybe we could even fool God. That's not the Easter story. That's not a resurrection. That is not new life. That's, that's dressing a corpse up for a viewing, putting a nice suit on it, and people saying, he looks so peaceful. That's not new life. And that's not what God is calling us to. He's calling us to come back to Him. Verse 15, seek My face. In your distress, seek Me earnestly. And God's promise is He will meet us there. Two days, three days. I will raise you up. I don't think the temptation is to stay away. I think the temptation is to just get close enough that no one notices where we really are. That we don't even notice that we're not really running to God. But the promise comes back and the Easter story tells us that when you come near to God, He raises your hope to new life. When you come near to Him, He raises your hope to new life. You know, as I was studying this passage and looking at commentaries, one sad reality kept coming back to me from the commentaries that I was reading. And the reality is this. You look at that call in verse six or verse 1 of chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. At no time in Israel's history did they ever pray that prayer. At no time is there any record that they ever actually prayed the prayer that Hosea calls them to pray. They never returned to God like that. And that is sad, but it all the more points to the reason why you and I need Jesus. Because we can't get there on our own. We cannot return to Him on our own. We need a Savior. You can't do this on your own. You need the cross. You need the empty tomb. You need an Easter story. Verse 3, He says, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And the whole point of verse 3 is the sureness that we can have of God's presence. The sureness that we can have of His promise. You can trust that He's near you. You can trust that He will raise you up. Raise you, up. You'll, you can trust that He will raise your hope to new life. Just as sure as you know that the sun's going to rise in the morning, that the spring rains always come, you can know that if you seek His face, He will raise your hope to new life. I like that. I like verse 3. 
I like that here it is in the springtime. We're a couple weeks into spring, and here we are reading verse 3, and it talks about spring. It's Easter season. The, the verse mentions spring. Just as you can be sure of the coming of spring, you can be sure of God's presence. You can be sure of His love. And then I stop and I think, do I really like this verse this spring, though? Right now. Because this morning I got up, and there was frost on my windows. And the other day I was outside and it was raining and then I suddenly realized it was spitting ice at me. And uh, the, the, the old farmer's almanac, the farmer's almanac predicted this for this year. They said that we were going to have what they called a reverse spring. In other words, it was going to warm up. We were going to have a couple of nice days. We we're going to be thinking, oh boy, it's here. And then all of a sudden it was going to get cold again. Does that a lot of years, of course. But we've seen that. The weather over the last couple of weeks has caused some of us to wonder, is spring really here? And there might be times in our lives when we wonder, is God really here? Is He really that close? He said He wasn't that far off. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up. But God, it's, it's feeling like a lot longer. It feels like you're a lot further away than that. I think that's why we need each other's Easter stories. I think that's why you need to tell other people your story. That's why we need to tell these stories, stories of hope. Because your story can strengthen someone who's just barely holding on. We need stories of new life. We need stories of resurrected hope. We need stories of how you return to the Lord even though it felt that He had torn you, that He had broken you. You turned to Him. You found healing. You found that He was near. And you found hope. Carol Ryan's story is like that. And I love her story. And I love that she allowed me to tell, is allowing me to tell her story. Carol told me that after her daughter Kelly died, she went through a period of anger. She went through a period when she was angry at everyone and everything, and especially God, right? Carol went to a grief counselor. And by the way, good for you, Carol. You need help getting through grief, don't you? You need somebody. Get a group. Get a you know, Grief Share is a wonderful organization. I've wondered if we might need to do some more with them at some point. But there are some wonderful groups out there that help people through grief. She went to a grief counselor, and, and the grief counselor asked Carol if she was going, if she was going to church. And she wasn't because she's mad at God. But Carol said and then in her heart she knew that was wrong. And so it was the very next Sunday that she stepped through the door of the old Kansas Christian church. And she said, a wave of peace washed over me. And I knew I was where I needed to be. I knew I had turned a corner. And she was sharing with me that one of Kelly's favorite poems was Footprints in the Sand. You all remember Footprints in the Sand. It's that little poem that reminds us that in those most difficult moments of life, we are not alone. In fact, God is carrying us. And she said, I realized I had never been alone, but now I felt God's presence. And as Carol says, I still grieve, but my grief is different because I'm not alone. That's an Easter story. And that's a story we all need to hear. Hosea chapter 5, verse 15, God says, when you're ready to come back, I'll be here. When you need me, you'll know where to find me. I'll be here. 
And then verse 1 of chapter 6, Hosea says, Come, let us return to the Lord. The offer is there. Let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down, but He will bind us up. And then there is that sure promise in verses 2 and 3. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn, and He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. If you look on down in verse 6, just a few verses on down, you see God's response to this call. You see God's response to Hosea's call for His people to return. God says in verse 6, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. And knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In other words, it's not just about showing up making the right offerings, making the right sacrifices. It's about the steadfast love that never ceases. It's about that love that holds you tightly even in those moments when you don't feel it. It's not about going through all the motions and just showing up when your heart's not in it. God says, come to me. He says, know me. It's the same as He says up there in verse 15 and again in verse 6. Know me. Know me again and again. Know the hope I offer. Know my steadfast love. He wants us to know Him so desperately that He sent His Son. Hosea tells His people, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And we come to communion every week and it is an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done to allow us to know Him. To how far He came in order for us to, to be able to come near God, that, that while He was struck down after three days, three, three days, <laughs> He rose again. It's a reminder to us of the cost, the, the body and the blood of Him, His body broken, His blood shed. But the call is there again and again to know Him, to know His promise, and to know His steadfast love. I'm going to pray. We'll sing a song and we'll Take this together. Let's pray together. Father, we would, we would confess there's times we have not come near. We would confess that there are times that You have called again and again for us to come back to You and we have played the part. We have, <laughs> we have put on a happy face and we have pretended that we came near You. But our hearts were far away from You. And Lord, in those times You felt so far away. But the reminder comes back through Hosea and through your son that you have always been right there. The reminder comes back in stories like Carol's of your nearness and of the new hope that you give us and the way you bring that hope back to life. And so we thank you today for this, this bread that represents his body broken, the cup that represents bloodshed, but we thank you most of all that we can know you through your son. And so draw us closer, even as we seek to come near. Lord, all of those things that we've constructed, all of those pretty pictures that we've painted to cover up, to cover up where our hearts really are, just wash those things away and let us come near to you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.